1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to go ahead and read, starting in verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Uh, what, I, what I like to do is just ask you to please, while you're praying there, and if you're watching at home, just pray and ask God to teach you what he would have you learn through this uh, passage of scripture. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and I thank you for the great day you've given us. Thank you that we're here. Thank you that we have life and breath, and we have family and the health that we have. And I pray, God, that you would please uh, just meet with us here, meet with those uh, as well, and speak to those that are watching online or who will watch this video later. And uh, I pray, God, that you would just help us to learn from your word today. And Lord, I pray that we would be distinctly your people, that the qualities and characteristics that you want in our lives would be present, that we would pursue you and your word, and I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I titled this lesson, message, The Christian Lifestyle. Uh, that, that term lifestyle has become popular over many years now. Uh, you've got different types of lifestyles depending on uh, your uh, orientation, and I'm just going to be careful. There's probably kids watching at home, but you've got different lifestyles. People say, I, I live this way, and I live this way, or maybe uh, they say, I just believe what I want to believe. First um, Peter is an interesting book. First uh, Peter was written to non-Jewish Christians, so written to Gentiles, and uh, Peter uh, Peter is that, that one, that disciple that was, you know, he's, he's speaking from experience here because he, he was the one that had experienced God's mercy. He put his foot in his mouth, rather, and he said some things he shouldn't have said. He denied Christ, but Christ for, forgave him, and they've restored that relationship. Peter was the one that was used to preach the gospel at Pentecost, seeing many, many people come to know Jesus. Peter was the one that got out of the boat, and he experienced real faith. But he, he's found, he's writing this book here to Christians that are going through difficulty. They're facing persecution based upon who they claim to be following, what, what the lifestyle that they're now trying to live. And he goes through this book, and I would encourage you to read the entire book of 1 Peter. We're only going to focus on a few verses because we only have a short time. But he defines to them what it now means to be a Christian and he defines so clearly how it's so different than who they were before. That being an unbeliever, uh, following uh, their pagan ways, their ungodly ways, whatever their life was before, it's such a rapid change. And he's going to describe that change in their life. And when we get to verses 9 through 12, there's some really great identifying marks 
of a Christian, of somebody who's following Christ that I wanted to highlight today. And um, uh, what, what really stuck out to me in this passage uh, in, in chapter 2, I, I want to look in verse 1 before we hop into this. He says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, talking about getting some sin away and out of your life, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. He says, you're born again. You're new. You're a completely new creature and because you're newborn, because you're following Christ, there should be a desire in you to now grow, to, to desire God's word and what it has to say. And it's interesting when you look upon this church, other churches, Christianity in general, and I just sense a complacency that's not found in this passage of Scripture. There's just what Christians are doing don't line up with what the Bible would describe as the Christian lifestyle. Christians are living some other lifestyle, whether it's the one that just says, I'm going to do what feels good to me. I'm going to do what's easy. I'm going to do what's comfortable. I'll do what's popular. You know, other Christians live this way and they accept this in their life. Well, maybe I should as well and I won't make a big deal about it. I made a list of just things that this, this stands out to me and, and I think it should stand out to us and we're going to highlight it in the passage here. But a list of what Christians are doing that Christians just shouldn't be doing, that, that are not in here. This is just extra for the message tonight, okay? Um, I noticed uh, that a lot of Christians that I talk to are people that say they're following Christ. They're dating unbelievers if they're in a relationship. That's something that's not found in Scripture to do. Christians uh, are uh, deciding instead of getting married to just simply live together and that is not a biblical way of living. That's not the Christian lifestyle. I know Christians that uh, often use foul language. They curse. Uh, they take God's name in vain. I know Christians that participate in parties. They smoke marijuana. They get drunk. I know Christians that frequently are, find themselves in arguments and are known for poor attitudes. This is a little harsh, I know, but this is the state of things, and we have to inspect ourselves, okay? I'm not asking you to judge anybody else. I'm not asking you to think about others, but I'm just saying we're going to have to go to Scripture here and look at our own life. That's, that's where I'm going with this. Now, I know Christians that are just so concerned about the things of this world. They're concerned about politics. They're wrapped up in sports. They're wrapped up in acquiring money and uh, going on vacations and things which may be good in their place, but to the expense of eternal things where Christ says our mind should be in heaven. Christians that just don't witness, they just don't, like maybe in the last year or two, have never shared the gospel message with anybody. Christians who are not practicing Bible teaching, Christians that are getting divorced uh, for reasons that you wouldn't find uh, that a Christian should. Christians that are being hateful to other people, that are speaking degradingly about other people that are made in God's image. Christians that are bitter, Christians that have no desire for spiritual things, which is something that was referenced here. Uh, no, Christians today, some of them have no desire to read the Bible, no desire to disciple others. 
You know, one of the, one of the main principles Jesus said to the church was to go and uh, to, to preach the gospel to all, all creatures, that you were to go to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then to teach them to observe everything he's taught us. But there are Christians that are not involved in serving in any way, that have never, ever found another Christian and taught them something that, uh, God, was, that, that God had taught them. There's no desire for discipleship. There's no desire to uh, lead in prayer, to, to pray in general, to pray with their family. No desire or effort to reach others. And when we get to this book, 1 Peter, the entire book, is referencing these differences, these characteristics that should be found in the life of a believer. Because as we're going to see in this first verse, the believers have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's this change that's taken place or should take place. And so I guess you can say that there's a number of Christians in name. They say, I'm a Christian. I, they, they go to church maybe, but their lifestyle does not display Christ and his values. And I feel like I only do you justice by telling you that that's not what is the defining Christ, uh, characteristic of a Christian. Coming to church and attending a service in this building doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Do you understand? That's uh, it, not what defines a Christian. And so I want to see tonight some things that define a Christian here uh, in this book. Uh, Peter, he, he references throughout to these people that now that they're saved, now that they believed on Christ, they're born again, they're reborn, they're part of a brand new family. The, the fact that they are now God's child. They have a relationship with God they didn't have before. He talks to them extendedly, and, and you should read the whole thing again, about their new identity. The, the fact that it's not that they are who they were. They have a brand new uh, identity in Christ. They are someone different, and they should live as someone different. And they have a whole new hope as well. Uh, the fact that their focus isn't on this life anymore, it's about the next life. That there is a hope ahead that's way more important than what's going on here on this earth. So with all of that introductory material, let's hop into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You ready? Uh, verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Christian lifestyle, here's my first point if you want to take notes. The Christian lifestyle, number one, is one that is set apart. The Christian lifestyle is one that is set apart. Christians are special. Yes, they're special. You, if you know Christ, you are special. Listen to the, the wording that's used here. The Bible says you are a chosen generation. Uh, that, that chosen is particularly picked, okay? A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, when, it, when he refers to a holy nation here, that's a nation like God. He refers to it actually in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. If you want to look on mine, it's just the column over. In verse 13, he's talking to these people. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind ready for action. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, referencing that there's a new relationship with God, a relationship with father and child, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You don't live according to the desires you used to have, but as he which hath called you is holy. 
So, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, The idea here is that God is different, and you should be too. Does that make sense? God is holy. He's without sin, and you should seek to be that as well. Now listen, uh, he, he uses this word here. He gets down, he says, a peculiar people. Uh, I have heard this passage before, peculiar people. And uh, I, I grew up in a church, and I don't know if you ever heard of this before. In, in our church, in our youth group particularly, there was a, an article of clothing called culottes. You ever heard of culottes? And uh, it was like a thing. Uh, and, and I grew up, honestly, uh, maybe I was naive and maybe I wasn't thinking, but I grew up believing that what made me a Christian and what made me a good Christian was that I wore certain clothes, I listened to certain music, and I just only hung out with the Christian people. I, I, I really thought that in my youth group. Because there was a lot of things I was told, avoid this and look and act this way and you're okay. But as I got into this passage of scripture, when it talks about a peculiar people, it doesn't mean weird people. That's not what peculiar means, okay? It doesn't mean that you're so weird that you are, when we talk about being set apart, it doesn't mean that you're so not like the world that you can't relate to people, okay? That's not what it means. Peculiar is a word that means a people of his own possession, a people of his own possession. And what that means is that these Christians, he's saying here, you're chosen, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you have unique characteristics because you're his. The Bible talks about how Jesus, uh, he bought us with his blood. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, it's interesting because we know, and, and if you study the scriptures, the church is not Israel, okay? We know Israel to be God's chosen people, right? They have special characteristics. They have special blessings that other nations don't get because they're God's people. And here in this passage, he's speaking and he's trying to explain to them They are getting to partake in special things like Israel, but they're not Israel because they're God's people. They have special benefits like Israel. He said that they're a royal priesthood. The priesthood, they were God's special representatives, right? They were the ones, they had access to go before God on behalf of people. And as Christians, we have that special relationship. We have that special access. We have something different that the world doesn't have. And because of that, we're set apart. You understand? When I say set apart, that means you are set apart for a certain purpose. You're his now. You're not yours anymore. You're his. Am I, am I making sense? He says you're a chosen, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a peculiar people. Why? Why are we set apart? He says that for the reason that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The idea here is that he is saying, you used to be in darkness. That was a, that's a picture of you're without knowledge. You're without spiritual understanding. You used to not know about Jesus and the fact that he died for your sin and that you were destined for hell. You used to not know that. You used to not know that you had this large offense and debt that was outstanding with God. But now you know it. And now God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And your life is for him. It's to show forth his praises. Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 14, you're welcome to turn there. 
2 Corinthians 6 in verse 14, the Bible speaks about this being separated, being God's only. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? He's saying there are clear differences here. The relationship you have, this would apply to the dating, to the, to the marriage of somebody who's uh, not uh, saved with somebody who is saved. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with, with an infidel? There's just differences. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It is absolutely clear that the Christian lifestyle is a lifestyle that is set apart. It's one that's different because we're his. You understand? That's the first thing. You've got to understand that. You're no longer your own. You are his. And there are a lot of people I see that come to church here, that go to other churches, and they seem to be living only for themselves. And we've got to evaluate where we're at. Are we his or not? We have to evaluate that. And the Bible says here, we are his. And we should show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's look at verse 10 back in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. The next verse goes on to say, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here's the second point tonight. is that the Christian lifestyle is one lived in response to God's mercy. It's, it's a lifestyle that's lived in response to God's mercy. He points out here in this verse, he says, there was a time you were not God's people. There's this thing that's out there and people always say, everyone's God's child. Everyone is a child of God. Well, the truth is that's not true. <laughs> Everyone is not God's child. Everyone is made in the image of God. Man, woman, no matter their color, no matter where they live, everyone has inherent worth and they are valuable because they're made in God's image. They're God's image bearer. But the, the truth is that at one time, every one of us was an enemy of God. We had an outstanding debt with God. He highlights here in this verse that they were not a people, but now they are. That they, that they weren't this royal priesthood but now they are. There, there's a change in this relationship. And he goes on to say, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I just want to think about that for a little bit. It's nice for us to pause and think. We were a people that at one point had not obtained mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. In John chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come here to bring condemnation. He says, But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. People before they know Jesus, are already condemned. 
They don't have the mercy of God. They are already waiting for a just punishment for their sin. Do you understand? There's a holy God that requires a just punishment for sin. And we know that that is the second death, the lake of fire, hell, however you want to describe it. It's an eternal, uh, lasting torment. And that is something, at one point, we had not obtained mercy from that punishment. At one point, we were going to get what we deserved. But he reminds them in here, Jesus came, he did what was necessary, and when you accepted him, you obtained mercy. He said, I'm no longer going to give them what they deserve. I'm going to withhold that punishment. And Jesus took all that punishment on himself. And this Christian lifestyle, it needs to be one that's always thinking about that. It's always reflecting. It's always realizing that we are here by God's grace and mercy. It's, It's an attitude of thankfulness. In Luke chapter 17, there's a great example of this attitude, this attitude that says, at one point I didn't have mercy, but now I do. And I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take it for granted. In Luke 17, verse 11, the Bible says, It came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, speaking about Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's interesting, the lepers, they're a lot like, uh, you think of COVID-19 today, you're like, stay away from me, you've got COVID or whatever. That's how these men lived. They were outcasts. They were uh, not allowed to have relationships with normal people like everyone else. They were on their own. They had this disease they could not get rid of. And they call out to Jesus, have mercy on us. Verse 14, and when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus heals 10 lepers. That's pretty awesome, right? How do you think you would feel if you were one of those 10? Pretty awesome, right? This is, he just gave you back your life. Grateful. Grateful. Verse 15 says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Ten were cleansed and they were all on their way, merry way, and one realized he was healed. He turned around, just one out of ten, he turned around and he glorified God. God, thank you. This is so awesome. Uh, I didn't have mercy, but now I do. I wasn't healed, but now I am. He was so excited about that. He fell down at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. He was part of the group that shouldn't be around the Jewish people. They shouldn't get along, but he was showing thanks. This is interesting. In verse 17, the Bible says, And Jesus answering said, Were were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? He says, Aren't there ten people that should be thanking me? That's what he says. He, he, He shows that there is value in showing gratitude in your life. There's value in having an attitude of thankfulness for the mercy which God has showed you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he highlights the fact that in time past, you had not obtained mercy, but now you have. There ought to be an attitude of gratitude that our, the Christian lifestyle, if we're living the lifestyle God would have us to live if we are born again, it should be one in response to God's mercy, an attitude of thankfulness. And it should show in our daily life. We should be thankful that we're alive, thankful that we're saved, thankful that God saved us. And sometimes we lose uh, sight of that. 
I want to look at the next verse. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. If you're taking notes, the third characteristic here, the Christian lifestyle is one of self-denial. The Christian lifestyle is one of self-denial. I um, just want you to know I'm not making this stuff up, okay? I'm, I'm reading it right out of the scripture. Sometimes I think we look at these and say, is God really expecting me to follow his word? Yes. Yes. It, it, we, we're so surrounded many times by complacency and apathy, and it affects us, doesn't it? It gets us to think that it's okay just to go to church, and if I have certain problems in my life, well, so does everyone else. I don't have to deal with them. Well, that is not the calling that God has placed upon Christians. That is not the lifestyle that we live. It's not one of acceptance of sin. It's one of self-denial. Jesus calls us to self-denial in this passage. Uh, Peter explains to the church, and and the Bible says here, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. He, He gives a short reminder he says, oh, by the way, uh, you have a new, a new home, and you're, you're a citizen of heaven now. You're, not, you're just passing through this earth. This is a temporary residence for you, okay? You didn't buy a house here. You're just renting, okay? Uh, just, you know, hold it loosely. And he, he says that to them, and he says, strangers, pilgrims, abstain. That means stay away from. That means deny yourself fleshly lust, which war against the soul. I'm going to try and make this extremely clear so we all understand what Jesus is saying Christians should live like. He says, the Christian lifestyle is no longer a lifestyle that's characterized by continual sin. We're now characterized, listen, by a lifestyle of confession, repentance, and forsaking of sin for righteous living. All through scripture, in Romans chapter 6, the Bible gets into the fact that you're dead with Christ unto sin. I I preached this not too long ago. That you're dead unto sin with Christ and you're alive to walk in newness of life. That we should, he asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Obviously, it's great that God's mercy extends to the fact that when when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that, you know, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. But he says, well, do we continue living the same way? God forbid. The answer is no. The answer that that we're to give is is that a Christian life is to be characterized by denying yourself of the desires that you have, the sinful desires that you have. And it it explains here, there there are fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In Matthew 16, 24, the Bible says, uh, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to realize that the life, he, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, I'm simply a way out of hell. I'm a ticket to heaven. He says, if you want to follow me, he says, the first thing is, you're going to have to deny yourself. He gives you the terms up front. Take it or leave it, but this is a life of self-denial. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In Galatians, this relationship that we still have with sin is described. In verse, uh, Galatians 5 and verse 16, he says, this I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Christian lifestyle is one that is intended to be one where you're walking in the Spirit. 
not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, that you're following what God has to say and what his word has to say, not what you want to do. He says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, that's your body, that's your desires that you have, that desire to be angry, to be selfish, to lust, to whatever your, your body has a feeling to do. The flesh lusteth or desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, they're opposite, they're opposing the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. God recognizes the fact that the rest of your Christian life, you are going to have a continual battle. I've, I've talked with people, and even recently, and, and Christians ask this question. I've asked this question. God, why don't you take away a temptation that I have? God, why, after all these years, do I still fight this or that? And this question comes up in many areas, in anger, in lust, in greed, in covetousness, whatever it is. God, why do I still battle this? And God always recognizes for the rest of your days, you are going to be in this battle against your flesh and against the spirit. The flesh is lusting. It's pulling you one way. Your spirit is saying, I don't want to do that. I want to serve God. And you've got this inner struggle. Is anybody with me? Have anybody felt that before? For the rest of your life on this earth, you're going to experience that. And the Bible's clear about that. So what do we do? What do you do? Well, the Bible says, abstain from fleshly lust. Walk in the Spirit. Deny yourself. See, the expectation, if you're going to say, I am following Christ, the expectation that is upon you is to say, I am going to, even though that desire is still there, I am going to continually, daily, abstain and follow Christ. No matter what it is your your flesh is lusting for, every one of us has to say no. That's the expectation. Um, And it's even been asked of me, and and I I heard this question recently, but I've heard it before. You know, um, when it comes to the area of homosexuality, you know, some people, that's like a taboo thing. Obviously, it's something that uh, we, people keep very secret and they don't talk about that. There are people that their lust is uh, for someone of the same gender. And obviously, we, you know, many times people judge that or whatever. Well, uh, there are also people that have a lust that are heterosexual and they want to have sex outside of marriage or, or they want to steal and they have a lust to steal things or they have a problem with alcohol or they have a problem gambling or whatever. There's these selfish problems. But the question is, is, is they ask, when I get saved, why hasn't that, why hasn't that gone away? Why, does, why doesn't this lust go away? Well, I don't know of anywhere in the scripture where there's a promise that the desire goes away. I just don't find it. When you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the flesh is still there. In Romans chapter six, the apostle Paul himself, he's saying, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's saying, the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I don't wanna do, I'm doing them. Who's gonna deliver me? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. He knows there's a future deliverance, but the point is, it's a continual fight. The Bible speaks uh, back in James about this uh, pattern of sin. And the Bible says, when lust hath conceived, when you think a, a sinful thought, when lust hath conceived, when you have a desire to sin, whether it's a desire to lash out in anger, a desire to steal something that's not yours, a desire to, to ha- you know, have some sort of uh, uh, promiscuous, you make this decision, whatever it is, I don't want to get too in depth, but you, may, you have this thought about doing something wrong, whatever your lust is, the Bible says lust conceives. It's framed in your mind. And when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. 
And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And sometimes we get stuck here. We say, all right, lust conceived, bring forth sin. And Christians live in this area where we're stuck. Well, what do I do now? Well, you do what the Bible says. You don't stay there. The, the Christian is in this, now a cycle where we should confess, repent, and forsake. That's what we do. We confess, repent, and forsake. And what do you do? That's abstaining from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. He says, I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you as strangers and pilgrims who aren't part of this earth, but you're part of another one. Live your life abstaining from fleshly lust that war against your soul. You're going to have these wars, but don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. You, the Christian life is not to be lived where you say, I give up. I'm always going to have this issue. No, no. You confess. You forsake. You repent. And if that's what you're going to do the rest of your life. I'm sorry to tell you that, but Paul did it. Peter had that problem. He's addressing it in this church here. But the expectation for the Christian lifestyle is not one of giving up. It's not one of tolerating sin. It's one of continually repenting. One of continually confessing. One of continually forsaking sin. And, and this is a lifestyle of self-denial. God calls us to abstain from sin and live for Christ. No matter what the temptation is that you have, if you are a follower of Christ, he's calling you to abstain and follow him. To put your flesh to death. The Bible in other passages says to mortify your members, mortify your body parts, the sinful desires, and, and follow Christ. In John 12, 24, uh, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And sometimes uh, it, this plays out in our lives because we say, why am I not bearing fruit? Why am I not discipling people? Why am I not, uh, why, why am I not successful in living for Christ? Well, you have to live a life of self-denial. And I'm, I'm saying this, preaching to myself, no one ever uh, gets absolute perfection on this earth. I don't know who's ever going to tell you that. The Apostle Paul said it. When I would do things, I, I, I don't do things. And, and, and the, the point is the fact that the Christian lifestyle is a lifestyle of self-denial. It's the one where I say, I die daily to myself. Uh, I, this is not about me anymore. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. You understand, it's all through the scripture. Christian lifestyle is a lifestyle of self-denial. Let's look in verse number 12, back in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's our last point tonight. The Christian lifestyle is one of authenticity. The Christian lifestyle is one of authenticity. He goes in here and he says, um, Christians, church, people are watching you. The world is watching you. And he says, your conversation, now we use that, we talk about conversation like well, I'm talking to you. This is a word, it's a Bible word. It can be confusing sometimes that some of the English words mean something different than what we're using them as today. But this word conversation is the word lifestyle. It's what we're talking about. Your behaviors, your actions, the way you live. The Bible says if you're a Christian, live honestly among the Gentiles, among unbelievers. We're not supposed to separate in the fact that we never deal with unbelievers. But when we work with them, when we're neighbors with them, 
when we have them over to our house, when we interact with them on community things that we do. In your life, when you're among unbelievers, you should have a lifestyle that is honest. This word honest here describes a life and indicates a life that is authentic. Where you are sincerely living what you say you're living. And it's interesting because the Bible says that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, even back then, the, the unbelievers were speaking negatively of the Christians. They were saying, you're actually evildoers. Do you see that in the news today sometimes? Where Christians, because they speak up against life, well, they hate women. You know? Uh, if, you, if you're for uh, pro-life, you're, you're against abortion, well, will you... You're, you're bigots, you're haters, or, you, you know, we speak uh, certain things. You're, you're known as a, a racist or you're known as a, a bigot. When we speak what the Bible says uh, about homosexuality, we just say it plainly, speak the truth in love. Well, that's now being declared as hate speech. Even, even today and even back then, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, would speak against the Christians. But look at what he, why he's saying this. He says, Christian, they're speaking against you as evildoers, But here's what you're called to do. Here's the lifestyle you should have. It should be one that's authentic. You should stand for the things that you believe in. You should follow the Bible you say you believe. Because when you follow the Bible you say you believe, you begin to live differently. You you begin to be that those people that are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are different. And he says, when you do that, where they speak evil against you as uh, they speak against you as evildoers. Here's what they're going to do when they see somebody living authentically. They may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. What this passage is saying here that when the world sees a Christian not being a hypocrite. Now, every one of us can raise our hand and say, at times, we're hypocrites. We're fakes. We say we follow Christ, but we don't follow Christ. Uh, we've given up for a period of time or we've kind of thrown in the towel on some things. The Bible says here, when you have your conversation, your lifestyle is honest. When this Bible shows up in your daily life, when you really do pray about things, when you really do love your brother, when you really do forgive instead of get bitter, when you really do love people that are unlovable, when you practice what you're preaching or it's being preached to you, that by your good works, uh, this, this good works here is exactly what it means. It's upright living. By your moral living, by your actions that are taken in accordance to your godly beliefs, that people will look at you and they will glorify God. Isn't that interesting? We're called to a lifestyle that is one of honesty, authenticity. Uh, we're not called to be like the world. We're called to be different than the world. And the Bible says that when you live out what God is teaching you to live out, when you truly deny yourself, live for Christ, follow God's word, that God gets glory for that. People will look up and say, wow, God. Can you imagine unbelievers turning their eyes to God? Your lifestyle is different, and it points them to a God who is different. You're representative of him. In James chapter 2, verse 14, this is described a little bit. James 2, verse 14, the Bible says, What doth it profit? What good is it, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, 
And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. James in this passage gets really practical. And he says, a real saving faith works. A real saving faith, if you are a follower of Christ, yes, you're saved, yes, you're born again, but the Bible says you'll know them by their fruits. The Bible says that it will come out in your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that abstains from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. It's a lifestyle that stands for what the Bible says. It's a lifestyle that actually does what the, what the Bible teaches. In James, uh, again, in another passage, he talks about a person. He says, you know, there are some people that go and they look in the mirror and they see all the problems. Uh, you ever look at the mirror and see the problems with your face? No? Okay, I do. Sometimes I have like those nasty white things. That's the most embarrassing thing when you don't look in the mirror. You have stuff on your face. The Bible says there's some people that go, they look in the mirror and they see what's wrong but then they don't do anything about it and they walk away. And it uses that illustration. See, that doesn't make sense, right? If you see a problem, you should fix it. It uses that illustration to say that the Bible, God's word is the perfect law of liberty and you're blessed when you look in there and you do what it says. The Bible says not to be hearers of the word uh, only, but doers of the word. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this. He said, ye are, not that you should be, but this is what you are. If you're a believer, this is what you are. You are the light of the world. You say, oh, maybe one day I'll be the light of the world. No, you are already the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. See the parallel? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. The truth is that you are a light. And you are salt in that same passage that talks about that. You should live that way. And when we live that way, God says people turn their eyes to him. That's important. That's important. You know, uh, call this the Christian lifestyle. I want to recap some of these points. The Christian lifestyle is one that is set apart. Think about that. Does your life scream, I'm his? Or does it scream, I'm still mine? Or I'm still part of the world? Who does it look like? He says that we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Christian lifestyle is one in response to God's mercy. Um, I, I know some people that are constantly talking about God is good, God is good, isn't God good? Um, that ought to be the same. We should never forget what God's done for us. We at once did not have mercy, but now we do. The Christian lifestyle is one of self-denial. If there's ever a core principle that should guide what our life looks like, it's, it's this one. It's not about us. The Bible says in that he died for all. Why did he die for all? That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Life is not about you. Life is not one where we should continually 
live in sin. It should be one where we abstain and follow Christ. And then the last thing, the Christian life is one of authenticity. You know, I, I do believe that other Christians and unbelievers, they'll understand if you are, if they're seeing in your life one of, oh, I, I messed up, but I'm confessing, repenting, and forsaking. That's the difference. You're never going to be perfect. I'm not saying you have to act like you're perfect. That would be called hypocrisy, acting. What the Bible's calling us to be is honest. A true, authentic life lived for Christ. And I hope that's a help to you. It's a major challenge to me. Um, I, I believe every word that Pastor Tony is speaking about uh, when he's saying it's the end times. Uh, the, the, and I do believe, you know, they talk about how light shines brightest when it's dark. Let's not miss our opportunity. Uh, let's get the things right that need to be right and let's live for Christ while we have the time to live for Christ.